Hello and welcome to Talking Law. I'm Sally Penny, MBE, Barrister at Kenworthy's Chambers in Manchester and the founder of Women in the Law UK. On this podcast, you'll hear leading barristers, judges, solicitors, managing partners and more talking about their lives and careers in the legal sector. This episode is supported by Salford Business School Law Group. Salford Business School offers one of the most practical legal educations where you prepare for career success studying a vigorous law degree in a friendly and supportive environment. Find out more at salford.ac.uk. Before you meet today's guest, a reminder that tickets for the Women in the Law Annual Conference in Manchester this November are on sale now. Please visit womenindelawuk.com for more details. I'd also love you to watch my recent TED Talk where I discuss whether love can conquer hate. Please head to ted.com and search for Sally Penny. Today, I'm talking law with Christina Blacklaws. Christina was the former president of the Law Society of England and Wales. Christina qualified as a solicitor in 1991. She held and continues to hold a number of very high-profile positions across the legal sector and beyond, and now runs her own consultancy business, providing strategic advice, particularly in the areas of transformational change, technology developments, and diversity and inclusion. Christina revealed to me that her interest in law began at a very early stage. I'm going to sound a bit precocious now, I think, because it started really early on. You know, when I was a young teenager, I sort of realised the importance of the law and how it could be weaponized for good and for ill. So how it could be used to defend the rights of, of the vulnerable, enforce rights for everyone, but be misused and and ruin people's lives if it wasn't used appropriately. So that really interested me. I was quite a political um, young woman. Uh, and, And so that sent me on a trajectory, really. So I went to Oxford, read jurisprudence there, and briefly thought about working in the criminal justice system, but very quickly went into children and family law, because that, I think that really spoke to me, not really vocational. So uh, the early part of my career, I was a children's rights lawyer. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when children are neglected or abused and the local authority gets involved, they have their own lawyer and it's that person's job to work with independent social workers and really make sure that the voice of that child is heard um, in the proceedings. So it was a wonderful time. It was highly vocational. And, um, you know, I really felt like I was um, making a difference for some of uh, some of the most vulnerable people in our society. So that was my early stages of, of my career. Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe we should fast forward a little bit. So that was the very early stages. Tell me, what are you doing now? And how did you get to where you are now, really? Now, I'm doing a whole range of of different things. But my, my route to it, I think, was probably because right from the early stages of my career, I thought of myself as an entrepreneur. So I built my own law firm. And I also built a virtual law firm using the 
the technology that was available at the time in the early 2000s. I set up the very first alternative business structure within the the cooperative group. Um, And I think I was one of the first people to glory in the title of a director of innovation in a large (laughs) law firm. (laughs) I know, I, I saw it. When I was doing my research, I was like, wow. So, um, so you know, throughout my career, I guess I've been a campaigner I've, you know, and I've also been an entrepreneur, a businesswoman and an innovator. And those threads continue in, in my current career. So I have what is loosely termed a portfolio career. So I'm a non-executive director with three large law firms. And I also provide independent consultancy for a a number of other law firms, particularly around innovation and the future of legal services and diversity, equity and inclusion. And that involves a lot of speaking and conferences um, on particularly on those subjects. But I also do a load of other stuff. So I chair a couple of government bodies in the technology and law space, one for Ministry of Justice and another one for Bayes. Um, I'm head of faculty of the Legal Technology and Innovation Institute, which is a global organisation really focused on technology and its use in the law. And then I do a lot for the International Bar Association and particularly around rule of law uh, and international human rights. And last, but by no means least, um, <laughs> I, I sit on the QC selection panel. So uh, I have yes. the great honour of uh, also selecting QCs. Brilliant. Well, I'll come to that in a moment. But you do also, you are also on the editorial board of Legal Women magazine, which was established by Coral Hill, our yes. mutual friend. So um, you forgot that in addition. I know. I'm so sorry. I, <laughs> I, I didn't want to bore your listeners reeling off a hundred things that I do. But you're absolutely right. And that's something, that, uh, you know, a complete shared passion of ours. And I continue to do um, a lot in the in the gender agenda, if you like. So I sit on the Women Lawyers Committee of the IBA, for example, the international women and in law work through the Law Society and indeed through the wonderful publication from our mutual and great good friend, Coral Hill. It's not boring because what that list tells me is actually what a law degree and indeed what the law can provide by way of a career. And certainly, you know, many women in the law uh, members, you know, there's 22,000 of them, know that I say this consistently about portfolio careers and their importance and their relevance, really, you know, the ability to kind of enjoy a bit more and use those transferable skills. So it's not boring. It's really, really interesting. Because one of the things that arises from that is when you became president of the Law Society. Now, before I ask you a bit about some of the work that you did there, the pledge, the roundtables uh, on women in law, where did you get the confidence from to go for it? Because I know from your successor, Stephanie Boyce, I, Stephanie Boyce, it took her four attempts. And so I just wonder for you, where did you get the confidence? Because that's one of the issues for women, isn't it? Putting ourselves forward. Absolutely. And and it's something that I, in exactly the same position as, as any other woman, in that, uh, you know, I, I often suffer from imposter syndrome or a lack of confidence when others 
you know, have confidence in me. And, you know, and I see that with, with friends and colleagues and other women in the law. And it is, you know, I feel frustrated, <laughs> not, not at us, because actually we're like that because we've been nurtured in that way. Society has, has formed us in that way, but at society that has you know, led all these amazing women not to feel their power and their confidence um, and their ability to use that. So it's something that, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur and uh, leading businesses, and indeed in my my roles in the law society and other representative organizations where I where I took a leadership role and you know and enjoyed being able to be part of a team that was making a real positive difference and it's a bit like a drug I think that's <laughs> that sort of thing you know when you when you have that that sense of shifting the needle making a difference you know, making the world a little bit of a better place. I, for one, I can't get enough of it. And that's, that's why I wanted to, to put myself forward. And that was really my focus, particularly around underrepresented and underestimated people. And yes. the programme of the women in leadership laws was, was part, part of that. Mm. Well, it, interesting, because when you were president, you, your, your focus was women in leadership, but uh, in law and the issues affecting women. And of course, you got male allies to also conduct and be part of the roundtables, which formed the report. But you were also heavily involved in the first hundred years project, a brilliant project by Dina Dane Smith, um, who started the first hundred years. I remember when it started, we all bought the toilet rolls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I've still got mine somewhere yeah. at the top of a brief somewhere in here. And and but one of the other aspects of your passion was for tech. Just tell me a little about that, especially in the context of innovation of technology in, in law. Well, I first learned to code in the in the early 2000s, and I could really see the potential then of shifting what was a very bespoke but quite cottage industry in law yes. into, into something where, you know, we were just much more accessible for people who perceived that they couldn't afford a lawyer. And as I said before, you know, use that to, to build a virtual law firm where yeah. my people up and down the country working through our systems within our, our regulatory framework, of course, but, yes. but really sort of pushing the boundaries. And, and indeed, 95% of those people were women because it enabled them to do the work that they loved without all of the admin and uh, bureaucracy that went with that. And of course, now we've got Gunner Cook and Keystone and, and uh, other lawyers on demand, other you know, massive players That's doing yeah. that. Yeah, um, but I think I was one of the first. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, to totally. You've got that badge. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, of course, when I um, joined the co-op to set up the ABS, then again we used the technology that we had there to design, develop, and deliver what were modular fixed fee services, very you know, reasonably priced, and were aimed at ordinary people. 
so that they could, um, you know, the services that they needed in the way that was going to work for them. So, so it's something that I really you know, passionately believed in. And I believe that it could be good for our professions as well. I don't think it, we need leave lawyers behind. I think it just means that lawyers, instead of doing some rather tedious administrative work could actually yeah. do the stuff for which we are trained, you know, and the more interesting and the more demanding stuff, because the more complicated the world becomes, the more you do need lawyers to help sort it out. When I was uh, president, we, we did a, a number of things. We set up uh, with Barclays Eagle Labs, the very first legal only, legally focused incubators for startups and scale-ups to develop their law tech ideas. We worked with the government to set up an innovation fund, and part of that was used to set up Law Tech UK, which is a body that I I continue to chair, actually, uh, which looks at trying to ensure that we've got the right legislative and regulatory Structure. So Sir Geoffrey Voss, who sits on the panel, um, has been doing an enormous amount of work around smarter legal contracts, around blockchain and the and you know how this all fits into our legal system, but also to, to support the great ideas that have been generated in the UK around technology and how that is utilized for for business and for small business and for individuals and how we can export that globally. And then the final big piece that we did was a commission, which I was able to chair. And that was, uh, I mean, A, it was great good fun because we we held sort of um, like select committee um, sessions where we, we had witnesses and took evidence. But B, I think we came up with um, some some really important advice to government, which was framed around the criminal justice system and the use of artificial intelligence or algorithms in the criminal justice system and the pros and cons of that and the dangers of not getting that right. And, And of course, in the criminal justice system, if you get these things wrong, the consequences can be appalling for the individuals involved. Yeah, well, absolutely. I practice in, in crime. It's a really you know, you know better than anybody. Uh, yes, yeah. well, it, 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 interesting. Well, Christina, I'd like to just uh, move away a little bit and just ask you uh, this: There, I've been very concerned about COVID and its impact on women uh, and men in the profession, and the availability of training contracts, albeit SQEs are in now um, yeah. for for those coming. Uh, up, but equally at the bar, um, the opportunities are are, are becoming uh, far and less. And so, uh, my question is really about what advice you might have for aspiring lawyers. And then I'll move on to perhaps established lawyers about really progression. But for those who want to enter the profession, any tips or advice? One thing I would say is you've got to be really courageous. Um, you know, this is this is not a career for the faint hearted. I think you've got to really believe in yourself and believe in what you're doing. You've got to really have purpose and understand your 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 why. And then I would add to that that. It's really important to embrace change. 
when I entered the profession, it was highly traditional. You would um, enter the profession, do 30 years at a, at a law firm and you know, retire with a nice pension. And you might have been in the same office for that entire period of time. That is no longer the current shape of the law, let alone what the future will bring. And, you know, I think to be successful in this career, you've got to be excited about those changes, not hark back to to how the law was, because I really believe that's where the magic is going to happen. That's where actually, you know, the law is going to blossom as a career. I think you know, it is tough. So you need to look to the positive in everything. So I always ask myself, you know, if I've had a knockback, if I've had a challenge, what can I learn from this experience? You know, how can I make me better out of this? And I think particularly for, for women and for people with protected characteristics and those who are you have been underestimated for a very, very long time. So it includes the sort of you know, social inclusion issues there. You have got to be really ambitious for yourself. One of the things that our research for the, around the Women in Leadership and Law program showed that, you know, there is such a chronic, I would say, systemic lack of ambition for women and people with protected characteristics. So, you know, others may not be as ambitious for you as they are for other people. So you've got to have that drive. And part of that is to be really intentional, to have a very clear plan. Now, you've got to be agile as well. You know, you can't sort of stick rigidly to step-by-step planning. But, you know, to, to really think about, what you want to do and how you're going to get there. And it's it's remarkable how many people don't actually have that sort of plan in their lives. And if you do, it just gives you that framework, which I think will, is really supportive early stages of career. Fantastic advice. I suppose a caveat I would say is, you know, when women become ambitious, then they're described as being too pushy or, too, you know, the language seems to change, isn't it? You know, if you went to court and said, yes, I've got a strategic plan here. Uh, I'd like to be a silk by 50 and this and this and this. And I'm looking for cases that would get me there. You know, people would probably laugh. But I think the point you make is a valid one, isn't it? To have some sort of a plan so that you can then be strategic about it. Because Lady Hale said the same thing, that we mm-hmm. need to be strategic and um, I think you were present when she said it. It may even have been at her valedictory at the Supreme Court at which you spoke. I think many people watched on YouTube, but, you know, your speech was spot on. And of course, you know, I digress a little bit, but there is now only one woman in the Supreme Court again. Yeah. Uh, the Lady Rose, who's a bencher like myself, am I in? And so we have to keep doing the work, don't we? And if that's strategizing amongst that advice, then super. Christina, can I ask you very quickly then, what, what about women and the progression of women? What advice would you have for, for example, the women that I mentor who are either 12 years call at the bar or mm-hmm. about 10 years uh, admission as solicitors and they're thinking where to go with their careers? Those yeah. women. And then there are the women who are about 15 years experience or call and they're looking for a bit of oomph. Have you got any advice? I know. Do you know what I mean? The kind who would do I their job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're sitting there 
thinking, gosh, is this it? You know, they've often had children, they're settling back in. Any kind of careers advice, I suppose, for those perhaps who are a little bit more established? And I think for those women, you know, the the research evidence is that women's career in law tends to sort of start to fall off the cliff around six to eight PQE in in solicitor terms. Um, So for those who have got a bit further down the line, you know, you have already been through the ringer, I would say, probably. (laughs) <laughs> to continue to just to be there, you know, to have a, to to continue to be standing in your in your professional shoes, I think. And so I think it's really important to recognise that, uh, as we were saying before, women often don't recognise their own power, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and where they have got to, and why they have got to, and the skills and the experience and the resilience that has got them to that place in their career. So when I'm mentoring uh, women in, in that sort of part of their career, it's all about confidence. You know, it's all about you know, building that. Now, how do you do that? And that, that might be the confidence to, you know, to go out of the comfort zone, to take that next big leap professionally. And um, in in terms of the solicitor's profession, I think you've really got to do two things. You've got to be your own advocate. And of course, as you were saying before, you know, maybe it isn't right in every circumstance to get out your, you know, 50 page um, strategic (laughs) plan and show it to everyone. But if you've got it in your head, (laughs) then that's where it needs, that's where it needs to be. But, you know, you, you need to be your own effective advocate. And you also need, I think, to, to sort of build your board because we are, I'll explain that <laughs> because we are socialized, um, as you said, said to, you know, to not be bossy, to be compliant, to yeah. to be submissive, actually, in, yes, in yes. some significant senses. It's really important that we have people around us to support us not to be like that. So I, that's why I call it a board, because if you are surround yourself by four or five people who have different skills and experience, uh, you know, and diversity is key in this um, to you, but who are absolutely have your back and want you to succeed, then those are the people to whom you should go if you're feeling that you are, you know, that power within you is starting to ebb you're losing that confidence you're you're uncertain about your yourself and and your future and the final thing I would say it's still on the same theme about recognizing your own power Mm -hmm. is to use that for good so to ensure that you know when you recognize that say 12 15 years this is where I'm at. This is where I want to go. This is the help I need. But what else can I do for other women or other people you know, to be able to help them to get to this position and to you know support them further because of all my experiences of what I you know what I know hasn't worked and what has worked. And I think that's that that is incredibly important. And I have always found in mentoring relationships that I have gained an enormous amount of insight 
and wisdom about myself and about other people in in doing that. So so I think giving back and using your position is something that's really, really important to do and also personally rewarding. Yes, well, I agree with that. And I tell you, you know, with only six black female QCs in the country Mm -hmm. and very few on the bench, you know, those of us who are in leadership positions of any sort, really, I certainly try. And I know so many women are trying. Christina, you look fantastic. So I want to ask you about how you keep looking good. And I remember seeing you when you were president. You know, you were in a suit and then you had knee boots on. I'm thinking, crikey, that lady has taken care of her appearance for an evening event in the winter. So any oh, tips? Because, you know, the truth is I'm jesting, but, you know, we, I work long hours. I've got boxes all around me here or briefs and, you know, complicated cases. Mm-hmm. Solicitors firms, they're working long hours with client demands and so on. And given the innovations that you've talked about and developed. So I just wonder if you could share some, I don't know, tips with us or how you manage to look after your well-being and wellness. <laughs> oh, Sally, I'm glad this is a podcast because I'm blushing. <laughs> oh, yeah. All oh, right. I thought you were going to say I'm in pyjamas or something. <laughs> but, um, yes, uh, I have embraced the grey. So <laughs> that's part of it is, you know, and part of it is about just being able to be authentic and that's just not me that's everybody you know and all the research shows that if you can be who you are um you, you're going to be happier yes you're always going to be happier things that make me personally happy I'm not a total exercise nut but I do make sure that every single day I get out into nature mm. yeah, that's the sort of you know, if I don't do that I start to get a bit jittery <laughs> it could be you know it could be a park could be anything but you know I, I just need to get out and um you know literally smell the flowers I do have downtime I I do make sure that I have that but like all busy women it's it's pretty limited so um what I try to do is to make sure I spend as much time as I can with the people that I love <laughs> that's yeah. uh, that to me is such a that's so energizing and uh and is just so so important in, in, in my Absolutely. life and and then there's another element which I think is is about being of service again I you know I personally I just find that incredibly incredibly rewarding and you know you you know that for yourself as well because you do so much for for others Yes. Um, Well, thank you. They're really helpful. Now, what about reading? And I want to talk about legal characters. Are you an Ali McBeal or an L.A. Law? (laughs) Uh, I'm a rumpole of the Bailey myself in terms of uh, reading the books and kind of legal, I wouldn't say role models, but uh, I I just wonder, do you have a favourite book? And if you do, what is it and and why? We have a book club here at Women in the Law. And um, I wondered if you had a favourite fictional legal character somewhere (laughs) well I don't get time to watch much telly but um I think my my favorite book actually isn't anything to do with the law and it's a children's book I think some of the best books that have ever been written have been for children but it does have a very for, for me in a sense this is why I went into the law because it 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 really aligned with my 
purpose and my moral code. And I think that this this little book, which I would recommend to everybody, I, I first read it, I think, when I was a, um, maybe 10. Uh, and and I, I reread it often because it, it's just so lovely. And it's The Little Prince by Anton de Saint-Exupéry. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the for me the sort of the very essence of it is is when the, the the little prince is talking to his friend the rose and and he says that it's it's only with the heart that you can see rightly what's essential is invisible to the eye and uh, you know that that struck a chord with, with 10 year old Christina and I've kept it ever since you know that yes. what's, what's really important in in life um and I think that that is something that to bring it back to law I think that is that we are often very purpose driven as lawyers you know it is it's what is really important to us so that that would be my book but in terms of um I was trying to think about this and obviously Ali McBeer was very much um, in play when uh, when I was a young, young woman. But I think probably I'm going to say Erin Brockovich. Um, Brilliant choice. Yeah, it's a bit of a cheat, though, because she wasn't a qualified lawyer and she is actually a real person. <laughs> but Julie Roberts did play her in, in a fabulous film. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, she's she's a, like a legal assistant working with a lawyer and she's trying to get justice against a, a major US energy corporation that's contaminating water in, in her hometown. You know, she uses her the law to, to, to fight for those people who are downtrodden and disempowered. And I just, uh, I, I thought she was a wonderful character. So, so yeah, she's, she's my favourite. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Now, Christina, um, we're coming to the end, I suppose. I could talk to you all day, to be quite mm. honest. And your tenure at the Law Society, I feel, you know, has really left a legacy, not just because of the Women in Law pledge and the reports you did and indeed the technology. But it then followed I, Stephanie Boyce, as I already alluded to. And then the next president who will be coming in October 22 will be Lubna. Uh, so actually, the, the, our solicitor colleagues have had leadership from three brilliant women. And as if that wasn't enough, you've recently been given an international award for your leadership. Can you just tell me a little about that? Because I know I'm going to pronounce it wrong, because it was delivered to you personally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, it's the Justicia. Uh, so it's, uh, it's an award which uh, is run by uh, our colleagues in Europe who are based in Austria and uh, one of the founders because we couldn't because of COVID have a proper award ceremony she brought the award all the way over here for me so I was uh, it was very very kind of her and it was um, it was a, a, an award uh, a lifetime achievement award actually for international work in relation to women in the law so I was absolutely delighted, really chuffed to to have got it. it it's sitting in front of me now. Um, so. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Christina, it's I, it's, I'm so pleased about that. Well, can I ask you as we conclude, 
where do you see the future for women and and what's next for you is it to continue doing what you're doing or have you got a grand plan on your uh, 50k strategic plan where do you see women going because i am concerned that actually the pandemic has set women back and indeed your party parliamentary group have been doing lots of research in this area where do you see the progression of women going and what's next for you christina blacklaws I share your concerns, Sally. I think it is really worrying where women are in the profession now. I think that we have gone backwards in relation to the pandemic. And I am worried that we won't continue to make progress. There's no room for complacency. We all have to put our shoulders to the wheel uh, to make sure that women, uh, people with protected characteristics, people who have been underrepresented and underestimated for so long, um, have that opportunity to just be on a level playing field. That's, That's all that is required, actually, because talent is equally spread and so we must we must keep progressing that uh, and it will take people like you and me and people who are listening to ensure that uh, we continue to push this boulder up the hill because although to me it's it's plainly obvious that this is best for business yes best for profitability It is unfortunately because we have systemic bias in our society, which feeds through into the way that businesses are managed and run. uh, We we still need to fight very hard to ensure that women, people with protective characteristics and others have that equal chance in in our profession um, and indeed in our world. So we've all got to be activists for that. So rally cry to, to your to your thousands and thousands of listeners. <laughs> Let's do this um, And as far as I'm concerned, you know, I am incredibly happy with my portfolio career. In fact, if if listeners want to contact me, ask me, you know, how to do it, I'm very happy to have those conversations because I feel passionately that for for me, um, it's the right balance of the intellectual stimulation, the the reward for for doing some good in in this world um, and not knocking myself out constantly, which I know is such a recurring problem and leads to so much mental ill health in our professions. So, you know, I am very happy doing what I'm doing and I look to do more of it. You know, I look to engage more with the profession, both domestically and internationally around these issues about which I'm completely passionate. So innovation and the future of legal services and how we can make this work for for everybody and and particularly how we can make sure that our profession is as inclusive and supportive as it possibly can be. So those are things that uh, are going to keep me busy, I think, for, for the next uh, for the next while, Sally. A 
big thank you to Christina Blacklaws for talking law with me, Dr. Penny MBE. And thanks again to Salford Business Law Group. Find out more about their unique law courses at salford.ac.uk. If you would like to support Talking Law, then please get in touch. You can find me on Twitter. Do give me a follow at SallyPenny1. Or you can also find me on LinkedIn or Instagram, typing in SallyPenny. Do make sure you catch previous episodes of Talking Law, where you can hear my interviews with guests such as the former superintendent with the Metropolitan Police, Leroy Logan, and international barrister, Gerard McDermott, QC. Before I go, just a quick reminder to get your tickets for the Women in Law Annual Conference and also watch my TED Talk at TED.com. Thank you to our production team, Sam Walker and Michael Blades at What Goes On Media. I'm Dr. Sally Penny, MBE. Bye for now.